Good morning. Welcome back to The Space Between with Sean McClellan, your humble host and Void Specialist. Today, I have a very special guest for you guys. Renaud Purifoy has, um, is an international author, known therapist, and teacher. Over his four-decade career, he has written books that have been translated into multiple languages. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, as well as many podcasts. The Anxiety Disorders Association of America, the nation's primary organization for anxiety-related problems, has invited him to speak at 11 of their natural conferences. Renaud, thank you so much for taking time today. It really is an honor to have you here today with all the work you've done. Well, so you it's just, a delight to be here. So, so you just finished a book, and the, the book title really captured me, Why You Feel the Way You Do. Yes. Um, out of 25 years of working with therapists with, for counselors and marriages and anxiety, why this book and why now? Well, actually, I, I had retired, and then I was contacted by a former client, actually, uh, who was a book agent. And she asked me to do another book, and so after thinking about it and just uh, the way things are today, I just thought a book about emotions that really that, that explains what they are and how to manage them in a better way would be really useful, especially with just all the anger and anxiety and other stuff that's going on around the country. Uh, a lot of misunderstandings about emotions. So, and it's something that's just fascinated me since I was a little kid. So, so for your line of work, did something happen when you were younger that kind of put you on a path of wanting to help people and to counsel people and, and like and to your profession, what happened along uh, your journey in life to kind of lead you on that path to become a therapist and, and help people? Well, as a kid, uh, both my parents uh, came from farming backgrounds. And so I was in 4-H. We had chickens and rabbits and cats and dogs and a parrot. And, you know, and I trained the chickens to stand up on little things and, you know, all that type of stuff. And so just behavior of animals always fascinated me. And so when I uh, got my um, bachelor's in biology, uh, my major was animal behavior. And then I had a friend that was a counselor and I really liked what he was doing. And uh, so I, I moved from animal behavior to human behavior, which sometimes I joke is a step down, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, a lot of par parallels, and it's just, uh, you know, I've always liked helping people, always liked, uh, you know, do doing things that uh, benefits others, and so that kind of was how I got into it, and it's, been, it's just been a fun ride ever since. So, you talk about animal behavior, I mean, human beings are clearly animalistic. Um, how does the mind-body connection affect our emotions? Well, quite a bit. I, I mean, uh, if, if you look at neurobiology, we have what are called affects. And there's like three levels of them. Uh, the bottom level is your sensory stuff like uh, heat, cold, you know, pressure. The next level up is what they call the uh, homeostatic, the things that keep a balance in your body, like thirst and um, hunger. And then emotions are actually the highest level of that. And they're drivers. They cause us to do things. And certainly genetics plays a role into it, your, your background, the interaction between those things. Um, and, and so the emotions drive you to take care of needs, take care of you to avoid threats. Uh, they cause you to be sad when you uh, miss things that are important to you. And that's part of that bonding that's, that's so true in, in all mammals. Uh, 
we have two circuits, one a carrying circuit and one a um, uh, separation anxiety. You see that in babies where when the parent is missing. But as adults, that's what, what helps us to bond. And of course, that's not always true with everybody. There is a small group of the population that has, you know, some genetic variations where these circuits don't work well. Or if you come up in a background uh, of deprivation, sometimes these circuits will shut off. But uh, yeah, they're part of, of our wiring, uh, certainly uh, our, our moods, uh, the things we expose ourselves to will affect all that stuff. But it's just part of our nature. We, we, we want to connect with people. We want to explore our environment uh, and we want to avoid loss and we want to avoid threat. Right. So one of your things, um, your pillars in your book, it says how triggers form and how to quiet them. Um, me having a lot of addiction in my past, uh, triggers specifically um, have to do with environment. How important is environment in our day to day in regards to our emotions and things that can potentially trigger us uh, for um, to kind of send us on a downward spiral, I guess? Well, I think to understand that, you need to kind of understand how uh, the mind works in terms of emotions. Emotions are indexes for your memories. So as memories get formed, if there's something going on that's important to you, there's an emotional tag on it. And then those emotional tags uh, allow those memories and, and those things that were going on at that time to come up into your mind. And, and there's a part of your, your, your brain that's always scanning the environment, looking for these things that have emotional triggers both positive and negative. And whenever they, uh, you encounter them, then you notice those things. Uh, a good example would be, oh, like, like when my wife was pregnant, right? You see pregnant ladies all over the place, right? Then as your kids get older, you don't see them anymore. Uh, your <laughs> you know, if, if your kids are in, in, in grade school or high school, you, you see kids at that same level, you know, and it's because at that point in time, those things are important to you. And so your mind pulls them out of the, and the environment. And, and you notice them. And so likewise, if you've had trauma or something has taken place uh, uh, that's, that's negative, then your brain is going to be on alert for anything that indicates that. So if you're in, in a car wreck, uh, sounds, odors, uh, uh, environmental things, for example, if the car wreck happened on a, cor on a curve uh, during the rain, you might be driving at night, hit a curve that kind of resembles it, the rain's going down, the brain immediately says, danger, danger. And so then you become alert. You might just experience it as anxiety. You might experience it as panic. You know, it depends on uh, how you're wired and, you know, how that works. The, the example I give in the book is uh, of people that are in a plane where it's gets struck by lightning. And so the next time they want to get on a plane, of course, there's some anxiety there because the brain has associated air travel with danger because of that experience of having, a, you know, the big thunder happening in the, in the plane and everything being shaken and, and all that. Is that something that happens on a subconscious level or that happens consciously? Uh, it's an automatic unconscious process. You know, most of your day, you're unconscious. Uh, if you just think about walking down the street, your brain is looking at uh, objects, it's, it's uh, evaluating danger, dangers, it's evaluating uh, obstacles that might get in front of you. And you're busy thinking about what am I going to have for lunch? You know, who am I going to talk to? You know, gee, that TV program last night was interesting. And you're not even conscious of, of all the stuff going on at an unconscious level. And so at the same level, all of these things that you've, during your life, you've identified as positive and negative are your brain is kind of looking out for them. And anything that had an importance in the past, it'll pull out of the environment and make you aware of it when you encounter it. 
And, and that's, you know, and that's kind of nice because if we had to think about everything all the time, you know, we wouldn't get much accomplished. The, 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 the fact that we can do so much stuff automatically really frees us up to, to do all kinds of other stuff. You say it frees us up, but, I, but I, I've been told before, maybe you can correct me on this. We think about 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day that cross our mind, right? 60 to 70,000 faults? Uh, thoughts, 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 oh, thoughts, thoughts. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and most of that's just kind of, you know, comes and goes. Right. Uh, and again, anything that has a, an emotional tag on it are the ones that you become more aware of. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm thinking about all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. As I go, in fact, my brain, the way it's wired, I, I think Bonnie Python, I, I would be a good writer for them because I, I see all kinds of weird connections. Sometimes I laugh at it, but I move on. Um, I want to ask you something in regards to our culture, in regards to dopamine. I feel mm -hmm. like today a lot of people are chasing a dopamine hit and our mind is constantly being stimulated 24-7. What Do you think there's a connection to that specific um, idea in regards to anxiety disorders and things that people are facing today with just being overstimulated and over chasing that dopamine hit? It, it is. And again, that's nothing new. People have been doing that for thousands of years, just we have so much opportunity to get so much of it, more of it now. Uh, when I first started practicing many years ago, even before the internet, uh, the first thing I would tell my clients is quit watching the evening news. Um, and that, that in itself helped uh, at some, you know, at, at least a, uh, a low level. Uh, sure. Because if you get this constant bombardment of negative stuff, uh, again, your brain just starts to become a, on alert all the time. And one of the big problems with the internet, especially with younger people, is what they call the fear of missing out. Uh, you see all of these curated images. People are having wonderful lives. Everybody's having more fun than I'm having. Everybody looks better than I look. Everybody's just doing better in life than I'm doing. And so it, it creates a lot of anxiety, especially when you're comparing yourself with all these things that really are false images because you don't see them when they're having a bad day or when they're grumpy or that type of stuff. So since here you you turn really simple, easy to understand terms and apply them to daily life. What can my listeners do in their life to get better control of their thoughts on a day to day basis to keep them in a more positive state of mind um, and not let the kind of the negatives of this world take them down this um, a rabbit hole of um, inadequacy and unworthiness? Like, what are some good tools that they can use to kind of kind of shift their mindset perspective uh, in their oh. daily life? Well, it's, that, that's a broad question, and maybe if we look at it from the from the eagle's perspective, uh, the things that make a person happy. Sure. Uh, the latter part of the book, I talk about what positive psychology has identified as probably the three most important things in life. Uh, number one, most people can guess, it's relationship. Having deep, meaningful relationships, people you can connect with, uh, who can be you can be transparent with. Uh, you know, and so many times you, you'll hear people, yeah, I got 500 Facebook friends, right? <laughs> but who can you really tell your troubles to? Who can you really empathize through at a deep level? Uh, and so many people in our culture are so isolated. I think that's one of the biggest things is developing a network of people that uh, that you can connect with at that level, at that deep level, meaningful level. And uh, you can do it through churches. You can do it through social organizations. You know, a lot of people don't have family. Uh, in the past, people had extended families. They had a neighborhood that they grew up in where they knew those people since childhood. We don't have that nowadays. We're moving around. We have our garage door opener. You know, we got our earphones on. Uh, we can spend the whole day without even having a meaningful interaction with somebody else. 
And so that's one of the first things. Of course, the second one is purpose, and the third one is meaning. Meaning being, uh, why am I here? What's life all about? You know, is there life after death? You know, those types of questions, which in our culture, we don't think about much. And uh, a lot of people just, they, they get their meaning from very superficial things. So because we don't think about those things, it, when, when things uh, interrupt our lives, uh, death, injury, you know, loss, uh, whatever, those types of things, we don't have much to fall back on. People who are well-grounded in those three areas can experience tremendous uh, difficulty in life, and yet they'll still come out relatively intact. It's fascinating, fascinating you said purpose um, and meaning meaning for life. Uh, my father just passed away recently. We talked about that the other day. And if anything, it's given me a, a sense of urgency to um, really figure out what my purpose, why am I here? Um, I think a lot of people don't have that instinct uh, and ask that question enough. Do you, do you think there's a reason behind that, that we're not asking and seeking our purpose for being here? Well, the, again, there's several reasons, but one of them just has to do with the fact that we've become such a secular community. We don't think about, if you will, spiritual things. The other term for that is existential stuff. Uh, we're too busy with the latest fashions, with the latest... Uh, entertainment with the latest uh, personalities and following those kind of superficial things so that we never take time to really think about it. And, and I think that's the other part is, is we don't take time. Uh, people are rushing from one activity into another, having a prayer or a meditative uh, or a quiet time where you sit down and you kind of take a look at your day, you kind of take a look at, well, where am I at with my goals? You know, what are my life goals? You know, uh, what is it that I want to accomplish and how am I doing about that? With that, uh, am I on track? Am I not on track? If I'm not, how can I get on track? Is there somebody I need to talk to? Uh, is there something I need to do? Most people don't think deeply about those things because they're too busy with this overload of media in their life. So turning things off becomes really important. You think that's by design? You think there's a no, behind I, uh, the, the, the way we're getting information that's kind of thrown at us at warp speed every single day? Well, the, the, you know, information, they want you to buy stuff, right? Sure, yeah. So, you know, and the, and the two things that sell are threat and sex, right? And so you see a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's advertisement, yeah. right? It's either yeah. got to be novel, something you haven't seen. So you see something funny, you see something, well, gee, gee are people be, going to be aware of how you smell or whatever? Or is there, you know, some sex involved? And those are the three things that in advertising you see over and over. And they're primary stimulators for our uh, emotional system. And uh, again, it's the overload. So it's not, I think, by uh, some evil overall design. I think we've kind of stumbled into this and the fact that uh, people want to be heard and so they figure ways to, to monetize it. I mean, you, you go on the internet, you look for a pair of socks and pretty soon your browser, all you see is socks advertisements come up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure after this conversation today, I'm gonna have all some, sorts of stuff popping up in my fever nose, but it's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we don't have to do it all today, so. Yeah, no worries, my friend. You, you mentioned something a second ago about quiet time and men. I just went through a study called Every Man a Warrior, uh -huh. and this book specifically hones in on uh, men in particular having quiet time every day to kind of connect with God um, and just kind of have a place where they can just sit and be still for a moment. How critical do you think that is for human beings in general to take time and just kind of process life and, and be still up until the modern era people had lots of opportunity for quiet time 
you're out working in the fields, you know, you're traveling someplace. And so you had a lot of time to mull over your day and to think about some of these deeper things as well as some of the superficial things. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's essential. Uh, I, I know with myself, if, when I start skipping my time, uh, my wife will point it out. I get a little squirrely. Uh, but it, yeah, it's and just in working with people, I, that was something I found, especially with anxiety disorders, uh, taking some time to be quiet and to kind of reconnect on those deeper levels uh, with God and those spiritual things that give meaning to your life and also kind of uh, center you. Uh, they, they center your, your soul and your spirit so that you can face the things that are coming at you with, a, with a, just more energy. And more of a settled uh, soul, if you will. Well, let's see. Another part of your book, you talk about identifying negative core response patterns that drive your reactions, mm -hmm. the people and events, and how to change them. Uh, to me, you know, I think a lot of people live in the past. They live in their negative self, and they they don't know how to be present in their um in their life because they're they're living in the the negative past that they, they keep reminding themselves of those memories those core responses that you mentioned how difficult is it to change them and what what is the process that someone can start using during that during that to uh to move them along to get out of that phase well, well first let me say there's positive as well as negative core responses you know it, it's 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 a combination of both uh, and as you grow up as a as a child you you gain a, a, a worldview about what are people, events, and how do I fit into all of that. Those become kind of an automatic response pattern. And it's, you know, it's part of it is uh, your belief system, but also it's partly, partly a, an automatic response pattern based upon your beliefs and your experiences. So if I grow up in a nurturing family um, and I've got a you know, nice solid spiritual background, I feel pretty good about myself. I feel pretty good about my abilities to uh, accomplish the things I want in life. So I can succeed, I'm okay. You know, those kinds of core belief patterns are expressed in how I deal with life. If I deal, come up in a family uh, where those things aren't present, uh, then I might develop core belief patterns uh, like people are dangerous, you know, I can't be safe, I'm inadequate. And now that becomes, again, a complex response pattern that I start acting out as I become older. So let's take the idea of, uh, oh, conflict is dangerous. Uh, a child comes up in a family where if they confront the parent, they get stomped on. So depending upon their genetic makeup and their personality, they may either become a fighter or they might become passive, right? So somebody who's become passive as an adult now they're at work or they're with their friends and when any kind of conflict comes up they immediately will back off and then oftentimes they'll come in they'll talk to me and say i don't understand why i can't speak up i don't understand why i don't do that and it's because it's this core response pattern that conflict is dangerous in their life and that's the thing that they need to start to address and what i find uh, the first step is kind of being really clear as to why you're this way and that doesn't change anything but people waste a lot of time in what I call circular why questioning or circular can't thinking, uh, both of those two. You know, I don't understand why I do this. I don't understand why I can't do that. And they'll just go kind of around in a circle in a circle without an answer. And yet, when you sit down and really talk to them, they understand where that comes from. It's just that, you know, they keep coming back to, I don't understand why. 
And so having a clear answer, well, I grew up in a family where I was not allowed to speak up. And when I did, uh, bad things happened to me. And so I learned to keep my mouth shut and to stay under the radar. Okay, that would be a simple explanation. Okay, now, next step is where does that come up in your life? And you come up with a whole list of things where that comes up. Where it comes up with uh, my mate. It comes up at work in these situations. It comes up when I'm out with my friends. If I'm at a, at a restaurant and they say I shouldn't order something, then I immediately acquiesce, acquiesce, even though that's something I wanted. So you come up with a list of things like that. And then you decide, okay, what are some opposite behaviors I can start practicing? And you start with the easier ones first, and you just start practicing those opposite behaviors in a very conscious way. And at the same time, you come up with things to tell yourself, what they call coping self-statements. I can tell myself things like, it's a, you know, I'm safe, I'm an adult now. You know, my parents aren't here anymore. That's in the past. So I can speak up. I have the ability to do that. Uh, I had one lady who uh, at work, when she had to meet uh, with her uh, fellow employees with a boss, she would be very quiet and want to speak up. And she identified, well, it's because he sounds a lot like my parent. And so I get triggered when I go in there and I get nervous and I don't want to say anything. And so she started doing that type of self-talk as, okay, you know, I'm safe. He's not my parent. You know, he's just my boss. Uh, I don't have to be afraid of him. And she just started practicing saying one thing at a meeting to begin with. And eventually she got comfortable in, in that situation. She desensitized to it because a lot of this stuff is just basically a process, process of desensitization. When, when you work with a simple phobia like fear of water, a person has to go through a process of desensitization so those triggers will quiet down. Uh, they never go away completely, but you can get them where they're quiet most of the time. Uh, they will sometimes reappear when you're sick, hungry, tired, or under stress. Uh, and uh, that's just the way it is. And when the, those occasional times come up, you use the same tools to quiet them. And back when you're feeling good again and you're on top of stuff, usually they quiet back down again and you're able to function well. So it's that's the general process. Uh, it's, sometimes it takes a little bit more, it's a more detailed than what I've just outlined, but, but the, generally those are the four things. Having an explanation, uh, identifying where you're triggered, coming up with some opposite positives you can practice, and then having some self-talk you can use to help calm the anxiety or the anger that comes up uh, when, the, when you are triggered. You think most people are aware of this? I mean, I mean oh, no. I've been through a lot of counseling and I'm, I'm aware of all this stuff, but like going through this process of like positive self-talk for yourself, you know, I definitely mm -hmm. do that on a daily basis to keep my mind in a, in a, in a positive um, frame of mind outlook. But do you think most people are even aware of this as they go oh, about no. their day or they just kind of think this is the way, it, this is the way I am. Oh, well. well, yeah, most people are because again, we don't take time to think about it. There's not a lot of, uh, e even though, you know, mental health awareness has become more, uh, much more uh, available nowadays and people know more about it. I think most people really don't ever think much about what they're doing. They just blindly keep doing what they've been doing. And which is getting why it's nice to have some quiet time and have some time to, you know, access some of the types of information we're talking about right now because it gives you the opportunity to look at well you know this is an area of my life that maybe i need need to deal with you know i i had one person uh, whenever his wife uh, would uh, make a suggestion to him he would get really angry right <laughs> and uh, so we trace it back to the fact that his mom was extremely critical you know and he would just bristle whatever you know over all this criticism he had and so when his wife would make a suggestion even though it was a very innocent one it sounded like his mom 
And mm-hmm. so he was being triggered off of that. And so after he identified that, he realized that I need to start, when I feel that, you know, that, that uh, immediate kind of response, tell myself, you know, she's not my mom, she's my wife, she's just saying this shirt would look nice on me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have to be defensive. And over time, he did desensitize to it. And again, that process of desensitization is what's so important because so much of our uh, information is insight oriented. You know, once you understand what's going on, everything's going to be fine. And that's just not the way the brain works is, you know, we're, we're not a computer where you erase things or you rewrite the program. We're an organic system. So like a muscle has to be trained and you have to develop it. Your habit patterns, these unconscious response patterns, you have to work with them over time to desensitize and change them. And again, like I said, sometimes they will pop up when you're sick, hungry, and tired. So you know, just be aware of that. When that happens, people will sometimes say, well, I don't understand. I'm, I'm right back to where I started. You know, No, you're not. It's, you just, you had some, your, your brain's not working the way it normally works because you're sick, hungry, tired, or stressed out. And, you know, some triggers came up and an old, an old uh, memory got triggered. You said something earlier about mental health awareness, and I want to touch on this for a second, because I think that for the longest time in, in America, that it, this was kind of on the back burner. I think we're seeing a lot of things now in, in the news and like things going on with, uh, with the kids in particular. How important is it to get a grip on this, to give people the help they need so they can start moving through some of the processes that you're talking and you teach about? Because I think we're, if we don't address it, I think we're going to be in a bad way, if, if not already, we are. Well, no, it, it's, you know, you have a lot of people are suffering in a lot of different ways because of, you know, past experiences, we, we do live in a broken world and, you know, things are not uh, the way they should be. A lot of kids grow up in homes where there's things going on that probably shouldn't be going on. And so people do carry a lot of negative core response patterns. Uh, most people are able to get through life okay, uh, but there's a lot of people that just, you know, it really interferes with their life. And so being aware that there is help, that there are tools you can use to change some of these patterns uh, becomes super, super important. Touch a little bit on core beliefs as well. How important are those for anyone? And when are those typically developed? By what age are those core beliefs kind of set in stone for a person? Well, a lifetime. (laughs) 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 I mean, they're constantly changing. You know, I mean, you start off as a, a child, you have these basic emotional responses to threat and loss and that type of thing. And then uh, those responses are kind of tweaked as your mind starts to develop uh, a model of reality. Again, what are people about? You know, who's safe, who's not safe? What can I do? What can I not do? And that now starts to modify those that whole subconscious belief system. But again, it can be changed as an adult. In fact, uh, if, if you're on a growth mode, you should be different by the time you're 70 than you were when you were 20. And these core beliefs will have changed as you've experienced things, as, you, as you've worked with things, as you've understood uh, people. Uh, when you look, for example, people when they first get married, uh, oftentimes their behavior is uh, somewhat infantile towards each other. And that's because they learned about relationships and intimacy when they were young. Their behavior at work is more adult because they learned about work when they were older. Now, over time, of course, that's all going to change, and hopefully you have a more uniform response at work and at home and and with your friends and that sort of stuff. Uh, So, yeah, so core response patterns are constantly changing. They they get laid down early in life, but you don't have to be stuck with them. Some people are. They never change. 
and they have the same core beliefs at 70 as they had when they were 12. Uh, and that's sad because that often means that they're missing out on life, sometimes doing a lot of damage to the people around them. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So it says here, your first book, Anxiety, Phobas, and Panic, Taking Charge and Conquering Fear. Hmm. Um, I got a question about faith and fear. Those two things we can't see. Why do most people buy into the fear aspect of that and not the faith aspect? I'm not completely sure what you mean by that. Uh, by faith aspect of fear, you mean that the idea that uh, perfect love cast out fear, that idea? Um, well, faith and fear are both two things we can't physically see as human beings, right? Right. We, we can either think, we can either be afraid or we can either act in faith. Well, but fear does have concrete stuff. Uh, I mean, when you become frightened, there are specific, you know, again, fear and anger are both about uh, threat. Uh, when I feel threatened, I become angry or I become uh, afraid. And again, when I talk about anger, I'm talking about anything, everything from irritation to rage, fear, everything from just apprehension to panic. Your brain looks at the threat and, and decides, how well can I manage it? If I can manage it, then I'll become angry and I'll do something to get rid of it. If it's going to be unmanageable, like a grizzly bear, then I'm going to become afraid and want to get away from it. Now, threats, again, can have a very concrete aspect or they can be abstract. So threat can be, you know, somebody who might be threatening my life. Threat can also be loss of status, loss of uh, uh, affection, loss of uh, uh, things that are precious to me, loss of my job, which gives me meaning. So those are fairly concrete things. Now, they, they also do move into the idea of faith because faith also has a... Has a role in uh, what threats really are, what threats are, what are true threats and what are not threats. So I think those two do interact that way. No, I have enjoyed every bit of this session today with you. What is the best way my listeners can get in touch with you to purchase your books or just find out more about what you do right now? Uh, my website is probably the easiest way, and it's ywhyyemotions.com. And from there, you can get into links to my YouTube videos and the books, and I've got some free downloads there. So um, anything you want to know about me, whyemotions.com, and that has links to where you can buy the book and all, all those sort of things. And I might mention the books also in audio, so you can have it both in print or audio version. One last question, Renaud. What does success look like for you? Oh, success for me has a lot to do with uh, uh, when I meet my Lord, he's going to say, well done. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. I yep. love it. I love it. Renaud, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. And we will see you next time on The Space Between. And just like that, another void has been filled in The Space Between. Hey, listen, you're obviously a podcast listener. You're listening to this podcast, which I appreciate you. Have you ever thought about launching your own? Are you somebody who feels like I've got a message, but I'm not quite clear what it is or who would ever want to hear it? Let's do this. Let's have a conversation. I'll kind of take you behind the scenes of the Space Between podcast, show you how I do it, and worst case scenario, you'll have three really simple steps that you can use right now to understand what your message is and how to get it out there. Go to linkwithshawn.com, S-E-A-N, linkwithshawn.com, book a call, pick a time that works for you, and let's have a conversation about you and your message, all right? We'll see you on the call.